Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to City Game, your Brooklyn Nets podcast on WFAN and Radio.com. Here's your host, Steve Lichtenstein. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the official season preview episode of the City Game Podcast, the show for Brooklyn Nets fans. I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN.com, and folks, as I sit here on Monday morning with about 36 hours to go for the season opener against Golden State, I'm honestly having trouble finding the words to express how excited I am. I mean, sitting on my couch on Friday night with my son Jack, watching what should have been a meaningless preseason game between the Nets and the Celtics, and I was smiling. Watching Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving play such brilliant basketball for the Brooklyn Nets made me smile. I'm sitting there with Jack, and he's saying, you know, if the Nets shoot like this all season, they're going to go undefeated. Now, you know, there's a lot that'll go wrong over the course of a 72-game regular season, but for now, for a change, I'm going to focus on where the Nets are going right. And to help me with that, I'm going to bring back one of my favorite guests, the legendary analyst on the WFN and Nets radio network, Mr. Tim Capstraw, will be calling in shortly. I'll also have some clips I took from the Nets Zoom interviews I sat in on over the last week. So sit back and relax. Should be a good show for you folks today. And thanks for your continued support listening in on Radio.com, Stitcher, or other platforms while we await our return to Apple Podcasts. Should have an update on that soon again, but thank you. So I'm writing a Nets predictions column for the WFAN.com sites I'm not going to give away the store just yet, but, you know, I do think this team has enormous potential as constructed, you know, even better than I thought when I first saw the configuration during the offseason. You know, I thought they would have to make some kind of trades for bigger and better personnel. But, I mean, if this team can stay relatively healthy, they can be scary good. Of course, you know, that's a big if. Irving, as you know, is an annual worry, coming off a season where he was limited to 20 games and had surgery to treat a shoulder impingement. 
And, you know, we all know about Durant. You know, the good news is I think KD has looked about as confident as anyone could have hoped. We'll, of course, have to see how he manages the demands of the season, but he certainly hasn't looked rusty, despite not having played an NBA game since he tore his Achilles, you know, back in the finals in June of 2019. But more impressively to me, you know, his defense, in particular his one-on-one defense, has looked you know, spectacular. Blocked five shots in two games and even took a charge. You know, that's the end where I thought he'd experience the most, you know, trepidation on offense. You know, he knows where he's going and can coordinate his muscles as needed. Defense is a reactionary task, you know, putting stress on footwork. Yet KDs look like he could still be the aid defender Coach Steve Nash said he can be, you know, with the normal it's only preseason caveats. You know, if that's the case, you know, imagine what that allows Brooklyn to do defensively. They haven't had a power forward like that since probably Kenyon Martin, you know, an athletic rim protector. So I asked uh, Nets wing Joe Harris about what KD's presence means to this defense, and here's the clip. Hi, Joe. Uh, everybody knows how great Kevin is on the offensive end. But can you tell us what it was like having him back there on the defensive end with the two blocks, drew a charge? Yeah, Kevin's uh, length and athleticism, you know, makes him an exceptional defensive player as well. Um, you know, he, he's able to clean up a lot of stuff uh, just because of that. You know, he's similar sort of body-wise to somebody like Jay, and he's got excellent timing, you know, being able to anticipate a lot of the shots that he did. Um, and, and then we, you know, we're, we're fortunate to have him sort of in that guard spot, but he can protect the rim just as well as any big in this league. Again, that was Joe Harris, the deep shooting Joe Harris now. Did you catch where he was getting some of his shots off from in Boston? Several inches beyond where he used to shoot from? You know, my friend Christian Winfield of the New York Daily News beat me to the question about that on Sunday. You know, Harris gave a pretty good answer, I thought. You know, said come playoff time, there's less time in space, so he's working on getting his shots off from a little further out and with harder contests. And boy, it sure worked in Boston where he made four of seven threes. NBA.com doesn't do tracking data in the preseason, so I'll have to check in on this as we get further into the regular season. But getting back to defense... You know, there's a reason why Nash has been emphasizing that end all through training camp. I mean, that's where the Nets will have to make some adjustments if they want to get to where they want to go. You know, the analytics stuff that they used to use works okay for a regular season, allowing all those uncontested mid-range shots. Yeah, you can credit that for their ninth-place finish in defensive efficiency last season. But that stuff won't work in the small sample size of the playoffs against the top teams can't just drop back deep into the paint and pick and roll coverage and allow the great players to step into uncontested shots in close playoff games. Are you kidding? Well, fortunately, that's don't have to do that anymore. And with KD on the floor, they could switch more one through five with you know Durant coming off his man to help down low and protect the rim if the mismatch is too great. I mean, it makes so much of a difference when it's him in that spot and not, say, Torrey and Prince. Or Trevion Graham to bring up one of the Nets' past failed experiments with small ball fours. Speaking of Graham, have you noticed how many ex-Nets got waived in the last few days? 
Um, not just Graham. You had Rondé Hollis Jefferson dropped by Minnesota. Zanin Musa, the guy the Nets gave up for Bruce Brown. Well, Troy apparently saw enough of him in the one preseason game they let him play. Gonzo. But, you know, I digress. Defense, yes. From what I've seen, the Nets figure to be more aggressive, you know, hedging higher on the initial ball screen, switching more often, you know, trying to create more turnovers. As you probably know, they were brutal in that category last season, finishing 28th out of the 30 teams in turnovers forced per game. So I felt that I asked Nets center Jared Allen, you know, general question about this, you know, just to confirm things. And here's the clip. Hi, Jared. Uh, would it be fair to say that uh, the defensive philosophy has changed a little bit in terms of being more aggressive and looking to create more turnovers? You were The team was pretty efficient last year, but you're going for something different that might be more playoff tested? Right. I think it is. If you talk to the coaches, they're like, we want to put in a defense that wins playoffs you know there's certain defenses that you can get through the regular season with but when it comes down to the last couple of people you want to be able to have a defensive scheme that stops them so that's what we're really trying to implement and the pace that we're going at so not a very detailed answer from jared allen there but you know i appreciate the honesty and confirming that there's going to be a change in defensive philosophy this year and with that, you know, we'll sure we'll see a bunch of growing pains. Allen, you know, of course, will be heading into his fourth season in Brooklyn, which means he's extension eligible. Now, there very well could be news about this by the time you're listening to this podcast, so I won't spend too much time on it. But here's the thing. You know, I read my friend Michael Scotto's reporting on this in Hoops Hype, and while it's certainly plausible that the Nets and Allen had, quote, discussions on an extension... I mean, to me, it just doesn't make sense at this point. I mean, he's going to be a restricted free agent, so all that would get done right now is having Nets owner Joseph Tsai get some cost certainty when it comes to what his potential luxury tax bill will be for next season. And given that it's going to be pretty hefty no matter what, you know, because he just committed giving Harris $75 million over the next four years, is it really worth losing flexibility, especially when you're a team that's going for it? You know, these extensions come with what's called a poison pill, you know, for trades. When it comes to salary cap compliance, the money that counts for Brooklyn if Allen is going out is his current cap hit of about $3.9 million. But the incoming team would have to clear the average annual value of his extension to take him in. And that value could be somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 to $14 million. That's according to ESPN's Bobby Marks. So no, I don't think the Nets should extend him now. It can match any offer he gets in restricted free agency next summer. Now, that won't be the case with Spencer Dinwiddie, who's a pending unrestricted free agent. And I find what's going on with him to be just fascinating. Hey, you know, I'm giving Nash credit here because I didn't think this through well enough, you know, switching him with Karis LeVert as the sixth man. I just figured that, hey, LeVert affirmed his path to start him in the bubble. It's going to start with KD and Kyrie. Nash saw it differently. And it's like what I said last week. You know, having Dinwiddie play with the starters, where he can't help but lower his usage, that's a good thing. You know, he got his 20 points per game last season, but not very efficiently. 
And you could tell he passed up open looks in the preseason because, as he said, he looked to his left and saw Kyrie, looked to his right and saw KD, passed the rock. Said it makes for a less stressful life. But, you know, it's kind of confusing, making him hesitant instead of aggressive. Again, that's not a terrible thing, but you know he'd like to pad his stats this season before he gets to free agency. And as for Karras, and I'm not going to go crazy over his performance in Boston. I mean, he did look great, 18 points in 21 minutes. But the point here is that having him play during Irving and Durant's rest periods that allows him to cook, whereas he's the one you don't want to play passively. So, you know, here's a premature kudos to Nash for some inspired thinking. And here's one more thing about Nash. Gotta say, he's been really good at this media thing. Now, we'll see how he is when it comes to real coaching and whether his mood changes when he has to defend his record. Uh, Up to now, he's given some thoughtful and often amusing answers to our often immaterial questions. And here's one he gave me last week. Hi, Steve. Uh, I remember back when Jason Kidd was in your seat and, you know, he was just uh, coming out of retirement to, to coach from playing, but he talked about the biggest challenge being learning how to watch the game, uh, the, the sight line and the peripheral vision. I was just curious when you coached your first game, if you had that adjustment to make. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's probably an adjustment, um, just getting used to that vantage point. I think for me, watching film was a big adjustment. You know, I've, you, know you start to train yourself to watch in, in an, an analytical way. And at first, you know, I'd catch myself when I'm watching film, you know, months ago, watching as a fan and then ugh, rewinding three possessions because I, I wasn't like honing in on it. And so just getting used to hitting that space bar and pausing multiple times each possession to see the positions and angles and spacing and all that. So that, that for me was more of a, a leap that, uh, you know, it just takes an adaptation to get used to watching in that respect. Um, some of it you just catch because you've played for so long and you see it right away, but sometimes you need to, you know, most of the time you need to, to rewind or pause and, and take stock of where all 10 players are. So that was more of an adjustment for me than the feeling I had on the sidelines. But the rhythm of the game as a coach is different, and that will take time, you know, to figure out, um, you know, just who I am as a coach, my personality is, how I can help facilitate our team's best effort and most efficient performance. Um, and, and try to be as uh, as small and inconsequential uh, a figure over there as possible and let these guys be pre- prepare them as well as you can and, and make the adjustments you need to make, but put them in a position to succeed. Again, that was that's coach Steve Nash with the well thought out answer. Appreciate that from him. And he'll be making his head coaching debut on Tuesday night, facing the team he used to work for the golden state warriors. See how prepared this team is to play a real game, but I got a pretty good feeling. Hope I'm right. You know, as for Nash's rotations, I really can't argue with him there either. I mean, he's been having KD, Kyrie, Harris, Dinwiddie, and DeAndre Jordan starting. Levert, Landry Shamit, Prince, Jeff Green, and Allen, the first five off the bench. Timothy Luau Cabarro has been the odd 11th man. You know, Brown, Tyler Johnson, and Rodion's Karutz, you know, they just have to stay ready. And two-way players, Jeremiah Martin and Reggie Perry. You know, they're going to fill in for injured guys like Nick Claxton. 
So that's your 2020-2021 Brooklyn Nets. That's at least how I think they'll line up Tuesday night against the Warriors. Not too shabby, I must say. And I don't think my special guest this week will have a different take on that. But let's find out and bring in the great analyst on Nets Radio Broadcast, my good friend Tim Capstraw. And here's my interview with Tim. Joining me on the phone right now, my great friend, one of the best radio broadcasters in the business, Tim Capstraw. And we're here to talk about the Nets and this incredible season upcoming. Tim, thank you so much for giving me some time today. No, my pleasure, Steve. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you is because you are a bit of a historian. What is this, like your 20th season? Uh, 19th, very close, 19th uh, season. uh, So is this going to be the most talented Nets team you'll be uh, broadcasting? Yeah, I think so. I think it's the most talented. I I really do. I think the Jason Kidd team, uh, the first year that uh, I started working was the second year that they went to the finals. I thought that team was a perfect fit. The pieces of the puzzle fit together beautifully. But I don't think as far as individual talent or depth, uh, it is quite at the level of this team right now. But it was a beautiful, beautiful mixture of Jason Kidd's leadership with speed that matched and athleticism that could line up with it and defend at a high level. Uh, but again, I, I think just going through the depth of this lineup and, the put, and obviously adding a couple you know, star players uh, this is uh, just a terrific team. Yeah, I mean, we, I was sitting with uh, my son Jack, who you know, and watching the Nets-Celtics game, and he turns to me and says, if they shoot like that, they're going to go undefeated. I mean, have the, the offense has the potential to be the most prolific in the league. I mean, what do, what do you see you know, out of this offense that makes it so, you know, so strong? Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, well, you think of it as an opposing coach right now, and you say, well, how are you going to guard these guys? How are you going to really guard? Because they, you know, they they play with a good, uh, they'll attack, they'll come at you, they'll space out, and they have just guys, I mean, they run a nice little flow into different sets and, and, or not you know, out of their break. They're doing a few different things, but it's really the individual creativity uh, that makes the, uh, that is going to make this offense so special. Whether it be, you know, Kyrie Irving attacking or dancing with the ball and shaking guys, or Ke- or the unbelievable ability of Kevin Durant to get to his spot, get balance, and take a quality shot, basically at will. I mean, he can get a shot anytime you want or he wants, and it can be a high percentage shot. Uh, it's really impressive. And then you have other guys, you have the Joe Harris's that fill in the role as a great shooter. You've got Dinwiddie out there driving. And then again, we go to the second unit, and you've got playmakers there and shooting also. It is, um, again, it's a hard, hard group to defend uh, and an awful lot of offensive firepower, that's for sure. Let's go. just go back to the individuals for a second. Joe Harris, the the – the range that he exhibited, you know, in the preseason. I mean, it, it, you know, he's the type of guy that adds to his game every off season. And this year it looks like he's shooting from a little bit further out, a little bit, uh, you know, more contested. And he talked about, you know, how he had, he felt that the playoff experience forced him to do that because you just don't have that kind of time 
and space, you know, in the postseason. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is how this team is thinking right now. It's like, how is everything we're doing right now going to translate uh, to the playoffs? And yeah, that would not surprise me at all if Joe Harris, uh, we have to, I'm going to ask him that question. How much did you work on extending your range? Joe Harris has that, that, you know, that cool new word, NBA word that everybody uses right now, and it's gravity. He has an awful lot of defensive gravity towards him, and the farther uh, teams have to go out and guard him, well, the more, well, the more dangerous he is, obviously, to shoot the ball, but more da- even more so, he creates more space for everybody else on the floor. Yeah, and uh, the other, obviously, thing that everyone has to worry about is Kevin Durant. But now I want to ask you about him defensively because that, to me, was the most shocking because I was worried, you know, when he's on offense, he knows where he's going. He he can control his movement, how his legs feel. On defense, it's a reactive position. And I thought his one-on-one defense in a preseason game, you know, he blocked five shots, took a charge. Yep. So, and I wanted to know, you know, how important is that for the Nets? Yeah, no, I think that's a really uh, great observation right there because you think of it, you're right. On offense, you kind of know in your mind what you want to do. Defensively, you are reacting and coming off an injury. You're right. He, he, he looked very sharp. Uh, his, his quickness, uh, you know, looked fine. His length is ridiculous. But you're right, his reaction time seemed pretty sharp. Now, that's something we have to just keep watching and monitoring. But we, we saw him catch up and reject uh, a few shots so far, a number of shots. And uh, he is an intimidating, uh, intimidating force, obviously offensively, but defensively as well. So how are the Nets, you think, are going to use that? You know, because I asked Jared Allen this. I played this for the listeners before. Uh, you know, how, how can they use, you know, Durant's length to their maximum advantage? Well, they can become more aggressive defensively. You know, not only with Kevin Durant can guard individuals, but knowing that you have that type of length on the floor uh, to guard people, but also clean things up on drives if the Nets are taking more chances. I know the Nets want to force more turnovers. They've been at the bottom of the league the last couple of years. They want to get more aggressive defensively. Uh, the combination of having... Uh, a Durant behind you, possibly a DeAndre Jordan or a Jared Allen to help clean things up and catch up to guys is uh, a really uh, a nice weapon to have and allows you to take a lot more chances uh, on the perimeter defensively. Now, Steve Nash, rookie coach, we got to give him time, but you know, the first move he made, you know, maybe could be inspiring the switch from Spencer Dinwiddie, a perennial six man of the year candidate, with, into the starting lineup and then putting Levert in the reserve unit. When you first heard about that, what did you think? And now that you have one preseason game, a huge sample size, you know, what, what's your uh, take on it? Uh, very, it doesn't happen often, Steve. This does not happen often. But I was asked on a couple of shows a couple of weeks back um, that scenario, not that. So I brought that scenario up that I think that that could possibly happen, uh, just because of great coaches think alike. No, oh, come on. I, I just I, I got one time I got something right, but I actually thought that I think there comes to get started off in a game. I think it's important to make sure you 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 are comfortable and there's enough 
enough shot opportunities to go around and enough playmaking opportunities. I think late in the game, you have no problem uh, being out there on the floor with other guys. You just want as much talent as you can, and you, you, you figure out game by game uh, you know, who you're going to close with. But early in the game, I think it's really important that a guy like Karis LeVert not be – not be holding back, or, or especially the way you saw him play in the bubble. Let him – I think it's a very great move because he then comes in and he can be in that great attack mode. Now, his perimeter shooting has vastly improved the last couple of years. But, you know, that's now – he can do so much more than that that you want to let him be that type of creative player uh, out on the floor uh, with the second unit to start. And then as the game progresses, obviously there's different combinations – on the floor, but I, I think it's a great idea, a great move. It looked fantastic. Uh, again, it's preseason, but it looked excellent uh, against the Celtics. And uh, you can just see the ball will be in his hands. He'll be, he'll be getting into the flow of the game. And uh, I think it'd be very healthy for, I think it'd be healthy for the Nets. I think the second unit really impressed me. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of talent, a lot of ability. I like the way guys were getting after it on, on you're both ends of the floor. And you're, you're a little uh, bit higher than you're a, bit, you're a bit higher than me. Sorry to interrupt on Landry Shamet. So uh, just try to uh, educate me as to what you're seeing from. Well, him. you know, I like I, I've liked him. You know, I, I've kind of liked him. You know, around the league the last couple of years. First of all, he's played alongside very good players, right? So he's been in. He's been in Philly where he had to be kind of a role guy, feel it out. He's got a couple stars on the floor, but he's got to do his job, make some shots. Goes out, what does he do? He goes out to another team like the Clippers, and he has to, again, find that role, find that niche. And it's kind of what he's got to do now with the Nets. He's got to kind of find his role, find his niche. You know where I've liked him? I like this compete level on the defensive side of the floor. I don't think he has a reputation of being a defender, and yet I think it's something he's trying to take some pride in. I saw him fighting through screens, hustling. I, I, I like his confidence when he catches the ball, obviously, to shoot it. But I, it's just something about him I, I, I really like. I, I think there's a trust factor. He's been in some decent games. He's been an incredibly consistent shooter. But I thought he played he, – he, his compete level on the defensive side of the floor uh, was impressive to me. Yeah, and the other key sub that needs to have a bounce back here is Torian Prince. You know, sometimes with players, I think less is more. And I, I personally felt that he was given too much responsibility when everyone started getting hurt and he was asked to run pick and rolls and, you know, drive a lot of closeouts. And, you know, that's where mistakes started to happen. I think, you know, if he's on the floor with Levert, if, you know, or if he happens to be on the floor with guys like Kyrie or KD – I think just having him understand a more limited role will result in more efficient, more efficiency, more efficient basketball. Yeah, no, you agree no, with I that? agree. I mean, I think that will be helpful to him. I think he'll play, he'll stay in his lane. He'll stay in his lane. And I think he's a better shooter than he was last year. Remember his first couple of years in the league, he was in the upper, upper 30s. You know, 37, 38%. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Well, but last I don't know year, if you, re- you, don't, you might not recall this, but in the preseason, Yes, he made he made a ton of, and then he made everything in the preseason. Yeah, and, and then he started fire. out on yeah. fire as well. And then Kyrie got hurt, and then he fell off a cliff because you know there was less less open. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> open I, I agree. There, there, there were less open, and then 
you know, he no, he didn't have a great year, but I also think he's going to be playing against a lot of second unit guys also. I think that's going to be a big role for him, uh, part of the second unit. I think his shooting stroke will come back. He'll, 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 he'll get that going. I, and I, I expect him to have a, a very good season. I think he's a solid player, uh, but I thought that sometimes, uh, depending on where he was playing on the floor, he was mismatched as far as uh, size and physicality, Whether if it comes to rebounding last year. I just think he's got a much better niche. I think, that, I, I think exactly what you said, a little lesser role and, and just stay solid, and I think he could have a terrific season. I'm talking with uh, Tim Capstro, Nets uh, Radio Network, WFAN, radio.com. Tim, just a couple more. Obviously, when you're talking about a rookie head coach, it's important to have uh, an assistant with the experience of Mike D'Antoni. Where do you see him having the most impact on Steve Nash? No, I mean, everywhere. Everywhere, all day long. You know what I mean? When you're the head coach, there's a lot going on. Your day is is booked with uh, media responsibilities. You're dealing with, with players that you're dealing with probably an agent calling you here and there. I don't, there's an awful lot that goes on. And to have a sounding board or a guy that you know has your back uh, and you've been through the, uh, the wars together, although your roles were revert or different when, when Steve Nash was a player, I think Mike D'Antoni has an, an amazing impact. I think all the coaches do. I think all the – and I think there's a nice and unbelievable – collaboration among the coaching staff right now that's working together. I see it. Um, I see it w- within the offense, the flood. There, there seems to be some decent carryover and some of uh, some of the philosophy that we've seen in the past here. And then on the defensive side, I know that there's collaboration going on because you're seeing, you're seeing different wrinkles right now. You're seeing different, a uh, different feel, uh, a more aggressive stance defensively. Uh, maybe that has a little, um, a little bit of that Rockets flare that we've seen last year with a lot of switching and then not being afraid to have you know, mismatches but being aggressive and taking chances. I'm seeing some of that. So I think there's a lot of collaboration, not only you know, uh, through, with Mike D'Antoni and Steve Nafter, but through the entire uh, coaching staff. And I think the humbleness and how Steve Nash carries himself really – really is impressive. And I think it really plays well uh, coaching an NBA team. It really plays well coaching an NBA team that has stars. All right. Well, Tim, last one I got is, you know, the Nets are obviously, everyone's looking forward to this season. But, you know, people who think that the East is least and that, you know, that only the West matters, there's a lot of really good teams in the East. So I wanted to ask, who is in your mind right now on paper, obviously, the number one threat in the East? Who would you be most worried about? Uh, probably still Milwaukee. I mean, you got you to gotta, you gotta respect what, they, what they've certainly done um, the last couple of years. I mean, I'm sure they want to do more uh, come playoff time, and, and that's got to be their goals. They've, they've got to they'll have a little chip on their shoulder going into this season, I think. I, I think, I think Philadelphia – and I know I've talked to you once, and you put that, but and you're right. I think Philadelphia is, you know, I think Doc Rivers will do a very good job there. I think they needed some shooting. I think Seth Curry helps in that regard. I think they'll be good. Toronto's lost a lot, and yet I just have an awful lot of respect for what they do and how they do things and the toughness of, 
of Van Vliet and Lowry and with Siakam and then, uh, you know, yeah, I think- Anubi. And they, they tend to find guys, and there's a toughness in Toronto that you have to respect. Now Boston, I, I think they take great. it. To, there's a lot What's of good that? teams. I mean, Boston. We haven't gotten even. We haven't even gotten to the Eastern Conference champion, which is Miami, and they're uh, yeah, uh, yeah, unbelievable, right? Great call. No, I know. I'm kind of just things coming to my mind, and I'm thinking of the different teams. Now Miami's going to be. They're going to be well. That was impressive, wasn't it? I mean, like they're a handful. They're, that's a team that wins all the fifty-fifty balls. You know, they they can get buckets when they need it. And, you know, they can shoot and they can defend. So No, no doubt about You know, Bam Adebayo, what he did, Hero, Duncan Rod, what? All those guys. And you're right. It's, it's, it, it, it's uh, everybody talks about now Miami being, you know, the conditioning and the culture and all. I think all the teams are like that. And, but they, did, they really showed um, a real grit, a real toughness, a real togetherness. And they were really ready uh, to play in the bubble, and I think they'll have carryover because that, that must have been an, that was an amazing confidence boost to be able to play uh, in the finals last year. They'll they'll be right there uh, competing. You're right; should not have let them uh, slip down. I also think, you know, like Indiana, I, I don't know uh, where they all fit, and yet I think they're really good. I think they're they're a good team. I mean, Oladipo, I, I think about him maybe. You know, where his hat is at. Maybe he was wanting to leave. Sabonis is a great player. Man, he's just a great player. Got a new coach there. Um, they, they've got – you're right. There's just in a lot of depth uh, in, in, this, uh, in this Eastern Conference. You, you go up and down. And, but I tell you what, I think a lot of people are talking about the Brooklyn Nets. I you agree. Know, let's be and, honest. Yes. You look at them line up, and you watch them – I know it's preseason, but you can see talent even in preseason, and the Nets have an awful lot of it, and they have a confident way about them. They have a confident – and it's going to be interesting. I'm sure people are looking at Brooklyn saying, whoa. And I guess that's no shock to anybody, especially if you have uh, Kevin Durant uh, coming off the injury. Yeah, so I love talking Brooklyn Nets basketball with you. I can't thank you enough for coming on. I wish I could say I'll see you soon, but <laughs> – you know, of course, the one year where the Nets are, you know, uh, one of the favorites, I can't go. So yeah. I, hope, I will keep listening to you, and thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, no, it's going to be – hey, listen, the people might, might not be able to be there, but they're going to be there in spirit, and it's going to be uh, really, really enjoyable uh, to watch this team. I, I have – this is – you're right. This is year 19, and I don't know that I've ever been so excited. Well, thank you, Tim. I'll talk to you soon. Uh, thanks, Steve. Again, thank you so much to Tim Capstraw, longtime analyst on Nets Radio Broadcasts on WFN and the Nets Radio Network. Such a tremendous person. What enthusiasm. Him and play-by-play voice Chris Carino. Really going to miss those guys this season. Anyway, I didn't want to get into an age discussion with Tim. But I don't mind telling you that I go all the way back to the days of Dr. J and Mr. K. That's Julius Irving and Larry Keenan to you young folks. You know, when the Nets played their games at Nassau Coliseum in the ABA. Such a great team to fall in love with when you're a kid. You know, I so wanted to play like the doctor. And, of course, I realized at a very young age that there was zero chance of that happening. So I decided to do the next best thing. I had an afro. 
eight-year-old suburban kid with a fro. Not quite Irving or even Jared Allen size, but decent size, I must say. So, to me, I've always believed that that was the most talented Nets team ever. Until now. You know, Capstro was right. Those Jason Kidd teams that dominated and went to back-to-back NBA Finals, they did it through sheer will, their grit. And in many cases, like with last year's Miami Heat, that can supersede talent. This season, we'll have to see whether this group can get over the hump that Kidd couldn't. So that's it for today. The official season preview episode of the City Game Podcast is in the books. If you want more, go to WFAN.com and Radio.com and check out my Nets prediction column. That should be up on Tuesday, before of the game, of course. Thanks again to Nets radio analyst Tim Capstra and to all of you who are listening in at Radio.com, Stitcher, or some other platform. This will be my last show of the calendar year, so I hope you all stay safe and have a happy holiday season. I'll be back sometime in the first week of January to give you guys an update. Maybe get another listener mailbag segment in. So enjoy Nets basketball, everyone. And until next time, I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFN.com saying thank you for listening to the City Game Podcast. And everyone have a happy and healthy new year.